Hello, and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley, and thanks for listening. Later, I'm going to be talking with Emmy Award-winning producer and creator of The Redis Files, Frank Redis. But first, to mask or not to mask? No more masks? Maybe not so fast. The Centers for Disease Control surprised a lot of Americans this past week as they coped in different ways with the relaxation of guidelines pertaining to mask wearing. The CDC says if people are vaccinated against COVID-19, they no longer have to wear masks indoors or outdoors in most places and situations. Unlike many other countries like the UK, for example, COVID regulations in the U.S. are highly decentralized. There are states in America that have relaxed mask wearing regulations months ago. There are cities within those states that will keep mask wearing a requirement for the foreseeable future, not to mention individual businesses. In fact, the new CDC guidelines, welcome as they are for many Americans, has created a good deal of confusion, not just among the public, but also among politicians. An example, the mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, Quentin Lucas, at first said he would not change his mask order. Then he said he'd think about it. And then finally, he said he'd junk it completely. He did all this in the space of seven hours, according to the New York Times. If you think it's confusing to politicians, contemplate what the American public must think. And uh, it, it boggles the mind. Remember, there have been dozens of lawsuits, as well as confrontations on planes, in supermarkets, and the like, about mask wearing. And I mean, it's gotten ugly in many, many cases. It's true that there's been a drop of infections, hospitalizations, and deaths from the virus. Yet practically, how will anyone figure out who's been vaccinated and who hasn't? The guidelines maintaining mask wearing are still in place for people using planes, trains, buses, and other public transportation. Don't think for a moment those regulations won't be challenged, whether it be in court or on subways. And we've seen that happen in the not too recent past. One thing is clear, many governors and big city mayors found out about the new CDC guidelines at the same time the public did. Now there are reports that the White House itself didn't know until the night before the announcement by the CDC. There's nothing that pisses a politician off more than not being consulted. Even more confusing, the New York Times surveyed 723 epidemiologists for two weeks before the guidelines were relaxed. They had some interesting findings. First, and this is important, they said the pandemic isn't over yet and won't be until younger children can also be vaccinated. The number they settled on was 70% vaccinated. Of course, there's a difference between rural relaxation and the end of this international nightmare. Just ask some of the countries where infection rates are skyrocketing or where variants of the virus are causing an entirely new set of problems. What remains clear here is that scientists and politicians weren't sufficiently transparent with each other or the American public. And what happens if the rate of infections and deaths spiral upward after the new guidance? All of this has resurrected the debate around whether a vaccine passport is necessary. And I wonder the extent to which the CDC guideline relaxation 
could not have been handled better than it was. And when I say could not have been handled, in other words, first of all, when the CDC began to think about this, why didn't they inform Joe Biden? I mean, my goodness, you wait until the night before you make the announcement and then you tell the White House? Why not try and be a little bit more transparent with the politicians? I understand politicians are a pain, but they're the ones that are going to have to figure out how, for example, you differentiate between people who have been vaccinated and those who haven't. What happens if people, for example, the police, now have to start walking around asking people who are not wearing masks whether or not they've been vaccinated? And how do people prove that? There's a lot to sort out, a lot to sort out. And of course, the Republicans are saying, uh, and, and it's hard to argue with them, that a hearing they held last week was what pushed the CDC, because the CDC testified at the hearing and testified, in fact, that the guidelines were fine as they were. And now the Republicans are saying, well, it must have been the hearing that pushed them to do this, to do the relaxation. And of course, many, many states across America have already relaxed the regulations. And what happens, and see, this is where it gets really stupid on a certain level. There are people who have confronted folks who are wearing masks to demand that they take them off. That's gotten so bad, it's even happened in the Capitol, in Washington, D.C. It's absurd. It's insane. What the public needs, what the politicians need, is clarity. Something that would be much appreciated by just plain folks. Thus far, it seems to be in short supply. I'd like to know what you think. Leave a comment on my Facebook page, or you can email me at markreillymedia.com. Will you continue to wear masks even if you have been vaccinated? Are you part of a vulnerable population where there might be a problem or you might get some kind of infection based on not wearing a mask? Or are you comfortable with the idea that mask wearing is gone or at least pulled back once and for all. Up next, AOC, you know her, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's got a stalker. It's MTG, but not the game Magic the Gathering. Wanna know more? This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has a stalker. It's her colleague in the House of Representatives, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Although it pains me to even utter this woman's name, this story is too good to pass up. Greene from Georgia has a fixation with AOC, who's from New York. Greene has demanded that AOC debate her, I guess to expose her as a socialist. She's confronted her in the hallways of Congress. She's called AOC a hypocrite, a baby, and a supporter of terrorists and Antifa. This would be comical if it weren't for the fact that this crazed behavior is not new. Green has been harassing people who disagreed with her 
for a while now. We should establish at the outset that Marjorie Taylor Greene has one simple purpose in public life. And I mean one simple purpose. That is the promotion of, you guessed it, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a prominent promoter of the lie that Donald Trump won last year's election. She makes common cause with right-wing groups and has gone as far as promoting the execution of prominent Democrats. That's right. Now, she wasn't in Congress then, but she did go on the record as promoting the execution of prominent Democrats. When confronted with her nonsense, what does she do? Same thing as her friend Donald Trump. She doubles down. She's consistently attributed the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th to Antifa and Black Lives Matter. In fact, her bizarre pursuit of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez began even before Green was elected to Congress. CNN dug up a video from 2019 that showed Green was a man who later participated in an insurrection yelling through AOC's mail slot. It sounds, it sounds like a, a, a skit from a comedy show or something, yelling into the woman's mailbox. Now, this is because her office door was locked. Given the revelation of the video, AOC finally spoke out the other day, calling Green deeply unwell. And that is, by the way, the height of understatement. She also said during her time as a bartender, she had to throw people like Green out of the bar she worked in often. But this is not the end of this twisted tale. It seems some folks on Twitter are confusing Marjorie Taylor Greene with a collectible card game called Magic the Gathering that was created about 30 years ago. Some on Twitter actually asked what AOC's beef was with Magic the Gathering. It's all too, too much. And the only thing they have in common is Marjorie Taylor Greene is MTG and Magic the Gathering is MTG. What comes out of all this ought to be clear. Democrats and Republicans with some sense in the House of Representatives and the Senate need to unite and push for this woman's expulsion from Congress. Her conduct is not worthy of her continued presence in Congress. I don't take this lightly, given that she was elected. Yet her continued harassment of AOC, combined with her incredible thirst for publicity, make her unfit. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy should be ashamed of himself for pushing Liz Cheney out of leadership while simultaneously maintaining silence about MTG. But I guess that pretty much sums up the state of the GOP these days. And they ought to hang their heads in shame. Up next, my conversation with Emmy Award-winning producer-director Frank Radice. If social media baffles you like it does me, stick around. This is The Intersection. You're listening to The Intersection of Politics and Culture with Mark Riley. My guest today is an extraordinary person who I can only describe as a Renaissance man. He's an Emmy-winning journalist, he's a writer, he's a producer, director, author, musician, and marketer. It's a pleasure to welcome, and by the way, 
He is the co-host of the Gilmore Gang and the creator of the Redis Files, which I have to tell you is the first thing when I wake up in the morning, one of the first things I look for is the Redis Files because of course, being over here in England, in the States, things are pretty quiet at like seven o'clock in the morning over here. So I look for the Redis Files each and every morning and a pleasure to welcome Frank Redis. Frank, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Thank it's, it's, you. So it's, and it's funny too because you just recently moved to the UK. Yeah. From the US, uh, I've been living in the UK for the last five years, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I I got to tell you, I I really love being in the UK. It's so much more civilized than the craziness that's going on over here. I happen to be in New York right now. Yeah, uh, it, it, it just um, there's just I think that the UK has a lot of great opportunities. And as soon as Europe op opens up, there'll be even more. It's just uh, it's, it's a great place to be. I, I agree 100 percent. Let me ask you a question, Frank, because uh, this this is my lead question. Is we can go over a whole lot of ground here, uh, certainly with with the kinds of things you know about and the kinds of things you cover. I have to tell you uh, what little I know about. AI and streaming and all that stuff. I've gotten between the Gilmore gang and the Redis files and my daughter. <laughs> Those are the three people. Cause you know, I'm not what you would call tech savvy at all but my daughter recommended I watch this. I guess it's a documentary uh, called The Social Dilemma. Although maybe it was a feature film, I don't even know. And one of the premises of the film was that the social media platforms make really good money off tolerating the spread of uh, disinformation on their platforms. And I'm wondering, is that, first of all, is that true? And secondly, does that mean that when they get called before Congress or whatever, or get criticized, they're just paying lip service? Well, first of all, it's true, um, but it is, it's true. But it's no more true than the amount of money that they make in a block of some other um, specified sort of specialty area in social media. Yes, they have all this disinformation. It absolutely should not be there. But it's not making them any more money than other areas like it, or not even similar in terms of disinformation, but other large groups of content are also making that amount of money. I, I, the reason I'm struggling is because I, I'm not going to support um, the Facebook, for example. I have a real problem with the way Facebook does things. Absolutely not policing it as strongly as Twitter, for example. I, I mean, you know, t Twitter has made a real effort to, uh, to try and find things that are disinformative, to try and label things that are disinformative, to be... Uh, to be the, the social media police. Boy, I'll tell you something, and this is such a convoluted and complicated thing. So you've got a whole bunch of Republican leaders who are saying that the social media companies are, um, are racist and are keeping uh, people away from them, racist in the way that they want to believe racism works. <laughs> uh, and they're keeping people away from the, you know, it's just, it's First Amendment, it's this, it's that. Without thought, um, that those social media companies, they're not public utilities. So it's not like um, I can say, you know what, you can't do that uh, on, uh, uh, you can't do that in broadcasting, 
but you can get away with it anywhere else. They're basically saying you can get away with it anyway. Doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. But the but the 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 right who's saying that it's a, a First Amendment issue are not thinking of it as an interestingly enough as a an issue of uh, generating revenue. And so it's capitalism. You know, and if that's not a, a Republican position statement, I don't know what is. So that it's it's the right going after something because they say that it's anti-capitalism, but it's actually because of capitalism that it exists in the first place. Fascinating stuff. And one of the things the social dilemma said was that people kind of get led to disinformation through various means, uh, including you know, uh, uh, tailoring uh, different advertisements, uh, having different things come up uh, if you Google a certain uh, uh, term or, or nature, so that they gather all this data on you so they know where you are. And then uh, they, I guess, allow access to this disinformation uh, based in part, and it sounds crazy to me, but based in part on your vulnerability to that disinformation. Is that true? Well, I think that's a little bit, um, that's a little extreme. Uh, it, it, it isn't based on your vulnerability, uh, but your, it is your vulnerability that they read in their algorithm. Not it's, but to you, it's really not a vulnerability. It's, it's just your, the way you do what you do online. Mm -hmm. And their algorithm reads all of the things that you do online. Um, and so I don't think that it's, from the best of my knowledge, it's not built to say, okay, we'll take those things that are kind of far-fetched and, and we know we can move them over here and draw eyeballs to it and sell it. And that's going to be to your detriment. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it isn't that Machiavellian. It just turns out, however, that most people use the, the, their, uh, the social media in a specific way, and that is that they always look at stuff that they're interested in. So if you like cat videos, you're going to watch a lot of cat videos, and then you're going to end up getting served more cat videos than you are any other kind of videos. So if you're a TikTok user, for example, you just watch five cat videos in a row, and the next thing you know, all of the other stuff that you wouldn't watch is gone. So it's, it, is, it doesn't take that much for their algorithm to latch on to you. And then if you're the advertiser, so uh, I have to go buy advertising in Google or on Facebook, but I want specific viewers. I need people who tick these boxes. So what, what are those boxes? So I've, I've read some interesting right-wing uh, feature. This is the kind of movies that I watch. Oh, this is the kind of music that I listen to. Oh, these are the kinds of websites that I visit. So on and so on and so on and so on until they get a picture of who you are, where you live, how old you are, whether you're male or female, or transgender or whatever questions you're willing to answer. Uh, and they put that all into a bucket and then they sell that. Uh, and so I'm an advertiser and I really don't care that you live in Kansas, but I do care that you're a female 18 to 34 living in Omaha. Uh, and that's all I wanna buy. So that the algorithm exists for a way for the people that are selling the information to target where it gets sold and it lets the advertisers have a place to be able to say specifically who they want their message to reach. Whereas in the old days, uh, and, and uh, you know, 
old days for us, I guess. Uh, whereas in the old days, you had three networks. And, you know, on any given night, 35 million people would watch a television show. That was not an unheard of thing. Uh, and, and of those 35 million, this, the, the advertiser uh, the advertiser number uh, that matters is 18 to 49. Of those 35 million, 18 to 49 is going to be somewhere in the 12 to 15 million. It's huge numbers. Yes. Whereas today, if you start looking at the numbers on the network, it's it's a big deal if 10 million people watch something and your 18 to 49 is two or three million. It, it is the kind of numbers that today um, would have gotten your show canceled back then. Um, and it and it doesn't, but that's because of the uh, the, the social media uh, video distribution outlets. Um, so that's because uh, and the AI, the AI is what determines uh, how the algorithm works. So there's that sales advantage, but it also is the uh, it's the whole the whole reason behind the dis, this this blown up map of the media world. So. How many different places can you get the kinds of, uh, of videos that you like to, to engage with, for example? I also have this theory that, that, that the internet uh, video distribution system is turning into cable. And I think that, um, you know, it's, it is, uh, I look at my, my bill and I have Amazon Prime. Well, of course, with Amazon Prime, you buy Amazon Prime, you get Amazon Prime video with it. That's actually a really good deal. But it doesn't have everything that Netflix has. So you got to have Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. So, oh, but you know what? I live in the UK and I want to watch American shows. So I'm, I have to have YouTube TV, uh, which is, you know, that's $66 a month. Uh, so now I've got Amazon and whatever that part of that prime video cost is and Netflix and YouTube TV. But wait a minute. I also have Now TV. So because there's yeah. Sky programs that I want to watch. So that's that's another seven uh, dollars a month. And well, but wait a minute, I also have to have a Chromecast and I have a Chromecast that's also got three or four other services on it. That I... And the next thing you know, that without a cable in my house, I'm paying 110 pounds a month for streaming services, which is more than I would have paid if I bought the cable. Now, uh, that <laughs> doesn't... The big problem with cable was it was costing too much money. And you couldn't, and you couldn't buy a la carte. Yeah. Um, now you can buy pretty much everything a la carte, but it's way more expensive to do that. But you can do that. You can buy, you know, your favorite series for th three pounds for uh, an, for a season, or you can buy a movie for, you know, for fifteen pounds. Which, by the way, sounds like a lot of money, twenty pounds. But you know, you go out with one person to watch a movie in a theater, you're going to spend that much more. Spend that and, yeah, absolutely. You know, and you're going to spend way more than that. And of course, you know, the 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 uh, the idea that that oh I get to watch it on a big screen with great sound pretty much everybody can watch it on a big screen with great sound nowadays I mean you can buy a it's, it's actually more expensive in the UK but you can buy a sixty inch TV here in the US for four hundred dollars yeah, uh, yeah. A, a really good one and you can buy a sound bar and a sound system for probably another two or three hundred dollars for so for less than a grand you can have a big screen and great sound. Uh, and, and, and you get your couch and you can put it on pause and go to the bathroom. So there, you know, <laughs> but now, there, Frank, there I, I got to ask you this, um, because it, it dawns on me that maybe a lot of people don't understand 
how the social media platforms use their information. Do you think that people are comfortable or have become comfortable with the idea that artificial, well, not artificial intelligence, but social media platforms will bundle information and sell it? I mean, your personal information. Well, so here's, here's the thing. Um, I look at it a little bit differently. I look at it uh, it's as a security issue. Um, and my belief is that the majority of the people on social media don't give a shit um, and, and completely overlook it, just don't care. And, uh, and would, would only care if something bad happened to them as a result of that data gathering, um, which, you know, it, it, it's likely that, the, that that will happen to you is about as likely as getting run over by a train in the middle of a forest in Germany. I mean, it's, the numbers are going to be astoundingly high. Uh, now, to care about that, I think, is very important. But I can tell you, I know people who care about it but don't know why they care about it, yet they're violently in favor of caring about it. I, I must have, uh, I am not going to open up my, uh, my cell phone in a restaurant using their Wi-Fi because it, get, it will get hacked. No, it's not going to get hacked. Nobody cares about your cell phone. I mean, it's, you know, unless you're, unless you're um, you know, Warren Buffett having lunch in a McDonald's, you, you, the, I might care about his cell phone, but nobody's going to care about your cell phone. And, and so, but I hear people that will care about it that don't understand why. Then I have friends of mine who understand completely why and also care very much about it. However, understand, and this is where I get to my positioning on this, there is no security on the internet, period, full stop. Thank you very much. And if you don't know that, get off the hell, get the hell off the internet. There are people uh, who I think look at all this as it pertains to them. And, you know, in a world, Frank, where uh, the idea that the vaccination, the COVID vaccination uh, is injecting a chip because people found that they put uh, some kind of magnet on their uh, the place where they got the jab and it sticks and <laughs> no place else. I mean, in that context, it, it would seem to me that some people might talk about opting out of all this and, and essentially say, you know what? I'm not going to be bothered with any of it. Is that, I, I mean, I know it's not happening any in, in any substantial numbers, but there are times when I look at some of this and I'm not heavily invested in any of this stuff, but I look at it and I think to myself, you know, the, the only way you can really uh, kind of uh, maintain, you know, uh, let me put it this way. What used to bother me, like it doesn't bother me anymore, but uh, you know, I love music, right? I have an iPod, which I don't know why they got rid of them, but I have an iPod with like 15,000 songs in it. And I listen to all different types of music all at the same time. I may listen to a classical song and then a house song and then uh, a reggae song. I listen to all different kinds of things. And I think when, I, I forgot which subscription service it was, but suddenly they started kind of doing that for me and it never worked. So for oh, yeah, Sp Spotify was trying to do that using your song choices to create playlists. Yeah, I create yeah. my own playlist. I don't need them, yeah. but I'm wondering whether there is any movement on people's parts 
or do you see any new movement in the future to kind of opt out of this whole thing or, or have we come too far? So that's the, um, the $64,000 question. Um, I, I don't think that you're gonna get too many people to make a decision right now that, you know what, I don't believe this shit, I'm gonna get off social media. You're not gonna do it. It's not gonna happen. But they um, did do it for a while the uh, Premier League players, uh, it was only for a weekend. But you mean, they, you mean when they created the new league that nobody wanted to have anything to do with, the Super League? No, no. They got to a critical mass of racist posts. Oh, that, yeah. 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 And the players said, all right, well, we're going to just, like, get off social media. It was only for three days. So, or whatever. so, so that, yes, absolutely that can happen, and that's a, but that's a small cluster. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that really is a small cluster. You got to think about it. I mean, I, I, my, uh, what I think you were getting at, I believe, was something bigger, something oh, yeah. that trended. Right. And, and, and yeah. I, I can absolutely see that, that something like that would, uh, uh, could, could spur um, people to, to get up and do something. Um, I actually don't think that there's as much uh, strum and drang about um, uh, disinformation as there is about racism. I think racism is an easier card to play to get something to happen uh, than uh, than disinformation. Uh, as 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 bad as that may sound, uh, I think that that's the card that actually makes things happen right now, especially given the the, uh, the Minneapolis uh, case uh, with George Floyd and the and the lawyer and the and the cop who went to jail. I think that that's that's top of mind. People will. Uh, will react to that. In terms of disinformation, I, it's kind of like internet security. It, it exists. It's there. People probably listen to it, maybe laugh it off, but think about it going into the ballot box and go, hey, you know, I remember this and then hit the wrong button. Um, I, it's, I don't think people care. I but really don't think. Print. You have politicians that care. Because well, yeah, but you also have you also have politicians that got on the on, on in a hearing yesterday and said that what happened on Capitol Hill on the sixth didn't happen. There I know. were at least there were half a dozen of them there who blatantly. It's kind of like I I sat there and wanted to throw things at my TV, going, "Didn't you see the video? Are you that ridiculously stupid?" So what is the strategy behind the Republicans constantly saying these things that are absolutely and provably wrong? It goes all the way back to, hey, there are more people at my inauguration than there were at Obama's inauguration. It goes yeah. all the way back to that. The point is that there, there is one truth that has played throughout all of this, whether it be social media or traditional media, whether it be online or, or, or newsletters or anything. It is, it, is, it is absolutely a fact that reach and frequency um, can change uh, opinion. It can also change behavior. So tell me something, tell it to me a lot, tell it to me over a long period of time, and eventually the message will sink in. Right, wrong, or, or fallible or infallible, uh, and the Republicans have taken advantage of that which is the holy grail of advertising. It's about one message, carefully pointed, reach and frequency. So if all you end up hearing, if all the people who actually listen to right-wing media 
uh, Fox and News One, uh, News Newsmax, and One One America Network. People who listen to that stuff or read Breitbart or 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 watch, um, you know, uh, Steve Bannon, uh, they will be hearing that message over and over and over again. Now, those are the better part of the 75 million people who voted for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and even even if his social media numbers have have gone away, you, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but his blog is getting like three hundred thousand. It's it's a terrible. I heard that. It's, yeah, it's it's terrible. Nobody cares. Um, that um, that after a while, reach and frequency forces uh, or forces change, or creates a system where some somebody changes their uh, their behavior. That's how you get people to watch a television show. You tell them over and over and over that something's funny. And it's going to be on Thursday at eight o'clock. They'll get more people. That will, Thursday at eight o'clock. They, they'll, they'll go to Frank. They're driving. They're they're creating laws around this stuff. This voter suppression well, stuff. The voters the voter the voter suppression laws are. Um, my opinion about what's going to happen with those voter suppression laws. They're going to get turned over in court. I can't. A lot of Republican uh, senior justices out there. Maybe not, but I think you know we, we won't know anything about whether these voter suppression laws um, get passed, having been passed, uh, until the next election, which is 2022. So we've got a year um, to to get these things somehow in the system and then go through the courts. Because I I know that there's an awful lot of lawsuits uh, oh, outstanding yeah. out there. So we'll we'll. We'll see about that. I mean, look, I think it's ridiculous that um, that you know places like Arizona and Georgia, uh, just crazy city states that are uh, that are going after these uh, these insane uh, voter uh, suppression actions. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. It's absolutely. It doesn't honestly. It feels it, it. It was one of the reasons why my wife and I said, you know what, we're happy to stay in, in the UK. <laughs> in the UK, absolutely. Frank, I want to shift gears for a second. Sure. Um, because I, you know, I saw the, some stories about the Golden Globe, saw it in the Redis files, but I'm still not clear about the sins that the Golden Globes committed that got them yanked off. What was it, NBC? I think. Yeah. 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 Well, Cruz is so, boycotting them. So um, it's it's race and diversity uh, are are the. Um, are the things that everyone is pointing to. Um, and there's no doubt that there, there, have, there isn't a single uh, racially diverse member uh, of the, there's only 97 members of the Hollywood Foreign Press. It's like this tiny little group of people, many of whom you know, write a blog for some unknown French newspaper. I mean, it's crazy that these people have I mean, when NBC took over the uh, Golden Globes, they took a nothing event and, and made it huge. The Golden Globes is, it's, it's actually in Hollywood, it's, it's, it's pretty much laughed at uh, as a professional organization. It began early enough with a lot of, um, uh, of negative things being written about how uh, people were buying Golden Globes. Mm. And so one year, there was this uh, this entertainer, and it was like in the '80s, and her name was Pia Zadora. Oh, so yeah. So Pia Pia Zadora happened to be married to some billionaire, uh, 
At one time, wasn't she married to Xavier Cougat? She might have been, but this guy that 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 actually went to the Hollywood Foreign Press and paid them off, yeah, to make yeah. her the to give her a Golden Globe as the new artist of the year, uh, that that opened up this huge can of worms because if you if you notice around Golden Globes time, it, to this day, the uh, networks spent the networks and the and tell and movies spent a lot of money uh, trying to get the people to vote for their films or their television shows. But it's only 97 people. It's not like the Emmys where it's like, you know, or the Directors Guild has 10,000 members who can vote for Directors Guild awards. It's, you know, they have 97 people. The Emmys, when, when I was the president of the Emmys uh, here in New York, we, um, we had, uh, uh, you know, a, a larger group of people in a room voting than they had in their total uh, membership. So that created some problems. But then, you know, given, given all of the, the, the Hollywood, uh, issue with uh, the Oscars having no black uh, uh, people uh, nominated or winning two years ago, three years ago, uh, when they actually made a positioning statement, stopped and changed. The, um, uh, the Hollywood Foreign Press made a positioning statement, never stopped, never changed, and all of a sudden Netflix goes away and Warner Brothers goes away, and Disney goes away, and and NBC drops its contract. This is going to kill the, the, the Golden Gloves. Really? That's the end of it, huh? My opinion is it's the end of it. I don't think Hollywood wants to play these kinds of shenanigan games anymore. I think that one of the things that, that will come out of it is that they will be flamed on social media if they take if they if they play with the Hollywood Foreign Press again. Golden Gloves have lost its luster. They've lost their luster. That's my opinion. Final thing, I, I want to end with this because we you talked earlier about you know the different streaming services, et cetera. And I, th I think it was the Redis files again that had a piece about these different uh, streaming services kind of sort of at war with each other and, uh, and it linked to a New York Times piece about how, uh, how similar to cable the streaming services are. Yeah. Um, well, that, that plays to the point of, of the, the streamers are becoming cable channels. Yeah, yeah. Um, is it at the, at this point are people and particularly young people just more comfortable with streaming service? I mean, my daughter hardly watches television anymore, cable, network, or otherwise. You know, absolutely. Still... There, there, there is no doubt that uh, younger people are way more comfortable uh, with the uh, with manipulating visual content through the stream. And the primary reason for that is mobile. Um, so, you know, at wherever you go, there you are holding on to your video content that you wanna see, whether it's YouTube or, or you know, an episode of uh, my, my current favorite science fiction show, Debris, uh, uh, you know, or uh, Resident Alien, which was the funniest uh, sci-fi show I've ever seen. Um, but, and I watched it on my phone. And uh, so I, I look, I'm no, I'm nowhere near uh, a youngster who watches uh, all of his content on his phone. But I would tell you that I watch 50% of everything I do watch on, on the phone. And that's because of the stream. Now, it's, it, here's, here's the thing that really kind of upsets me. So I, I use YouTube TV with a VPN in the UK to watch American television. So that, 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 automatically puts 90% of what I watch in the UK on the stream. But that's a manipulated stream, like 
the, the same as when Slingbox, uh, Slingbox is about to be completely phased out. Horrible idea. But you could have a cable television or a satellite television in one place in America and be able to dial up or go to a URL on your internet and see that Slingbox and then control the channels that it watches. And that's how I used to watch television in the UK, American TV in the UK. That's the stream. But now that uh, you know, now that uh, a a Hulu or a YouTube TV basically will combine everything from Amazon to uh, to Netflix to to you know, they all combine these things. Uh, you can buy what you want to buy with inside inside that world. Uh, and and look, I'll tell you the other big secret that the kids are doing. They're 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 buying the streaming service for a month and then not signing the deal at the end of the month and switching over to the next one. That's what's happening. <laughs> but yes, it's about it's about the stream for them. Broadcasting, it, the numbers are just continually dropping. And honestly, the one place to two places I thought would be the, the end all and be all and the salvation of broadcasting was going to be sports and news and live concert events and things like that. Mm. The stream is the stream is taking over all of that too. Yeah, yeah. I'm, over here, you know, for sure. But I mean, I, over here, if you want to watch your favorite football team, uh, soccer in the States, but if you wanted to watch it, it costs you 70, 80 pounds a month. And, you know, you get NBC Sports Network in the States, you can watch three, three matches every Saturday. That's why you should have YouTube TV. Really? I'm going to have to check that out. Frank, we got to leave it there. But thank you so much for spending the time. And I'm going to have you back on again soon because you can explain. I'm happy to. Happy to. All right. I'm, take I'm care. glad. That, and thank you for reading the uh, uh, my newsletter. It's a, it's a labor of love. It's something I get up. It's it, When I'm in the UK, you'll get it really early in the morning. But when I'm here, it just happens that I'm, I'm still sleeping at 530 in the morning. <laughs> It's a great read, and I recommend to people the Redise Files for sure. Frank, again, thank you so much, man. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Intersection. The executive producer of the broadcast is Ms. Kim Jack Riley. Music is by Eric Lund. Until we meet again, please stay well. <laughs>